the tea health show your medical lifestyle podcast brought to you by the tea clinic good morning this is the tea health show i'm dr mark and in studio as always is Elise van art and our lovely producer simpiwe now we're going to talk about stress and specifically stress in the workplace. So I've invited Michael Cooper, a professional business coach, to join us. M- Michael, morning. Hi, Mark. Nice to be with you again. Good. So I, before we start, seeing that we're talking about stress, I just want to give a wonderful shout out to our very efficient Metro Police Department that added um, to my stress levels this morning by... Um, Doing a mass action and adding 45 minutes to my commute. Well done, guys. Keep up the good work. So. You feel better now. No. (laughs) The stress levels in Sentinel are high this morning. No. You know what? I, I really do think that it's completely unnecessary for them to do an action on the busiest streets leading into the busiest area of Johannesburg first thing in the morning and add to that load shedding. It's it's ridiculous. But in any case, so Michael, two weeks ago, we had a discussion with um, one of our clinical psychologists, Dr. Ansi Ghos, around burnout. And the thing that I am seeing in my practice, which is so concerning is people um, reaching a stage a stage of burnout or a state of burnout earlier every single year. Um, the majority of this stress does come from the workplace. Now, we know that stress is cumulative, but how do we address this? What causes this? So it's, it's complicated because there's so many different facets at the moment um, that are, are, all contribute to stress. I always like to think of stress as, as a natural process. So um, we, you, you work, it creates stress, um, and it's not about avoiding stress or taking away from the stress. It's really – I like to think about it as managing stress. Um, yes, and I think this is what we are not – not able to do. Yeah. Um, I like the fact that you said that stress is a natural process. And yes, it is mm. because we have different types of stress. If we look at acute stress um, or eustress, yeah. um, it's good for us. Yeah. It uh, prepares the body uh, for any kind of fight flight that might happen. Um, but the problem is um, these daily acute stresses mm. are cumulative. Um, And I don't think we know how to uh, address them, never mind manage them. Where do we start, especially in the workplace? Where do we start with um, stress in the workplace? So I heard a really great metaphor the other day because we we think about um, the sports world. So I've done a lot of work in the sports world with athletes and that. And you look at an athlete who's training really, really hard. They do a really, really hard session. But the one thing we understand in the in the sports world is if you train really, really hard, you have to recover really, really hard. Mm. So there's a there's this strong focus on balancing this pendulum. And it's, somebody used this metaphor and I, I kind of stuck in my mind of a pendulum swings. And the higher it swings, the further it swings back in the other direction. So, so if you swing it really out far by training really hard, putting yourself under pressure – and that can be nervous stress, physical stress, emotional stress. The athletes realize they need to swing the pendulum just as far back the other way. So they'll invest a lot of time in nutrition, rest, sleep, um, active recovery, massage, all these things that then help them to recover. And then the next day, they're able to swing all the way back again and put in a really, really hard work session. It doesn't work like that in work, though. What happens is the pendulum swings all the way to the one side and stays there. So we expect people to work 13, 14-hour workdays under extreme stress. Um, there's a lot happening. The complexity of the work situation at the moment, along with the political situation and the emotional situation at the moment in South Africa, creates this really stress. But we don't have the mechanisms that allows the pendulum to swing back in a healthy way that says, okay, so you're putting out so much, how do we put back in? Um, and some people 
do this themselves, but I'm finding people don't understand how to. Um, they're not managing the boundaries very, very well in the workplace. Um, there's an expectation in the workplace more and more around what we want from you. And, and so these tough conversations that need to take place around who does what, when, who sets the boundary, how much do I expect from you, you pay me a salary, what does that mean and how much am I willing to give back to you in exchange for that, that salary? Uh, what other things do you give me as an organization that, contribute, that, that feeds my needs? Um, all of those are really, really important conversations because if, if you look at that a human being holistically, um, I, when I listen to your podcast on burnout, um, it, it's about that missing purpose is a big part of it and I agree with that. But how do we bring back purpose? And, and that's a really, really interesting conversation because um, organizations go, I pay you to do a job, just do your job. And I think that's a very short-sighted approach. Well, you know what? I agree with you. Um, <clears throat> in that discussion about burnout, and uh, Simpiwe is already cringing because she knows what's coming, um, I, I made the comment that our generation, your generation, my generation, Sissy Elisa's generation, had a completely different work ethic to Simpiwe's generation. But, you know what, the more I think about it and reflect on it, and for me, admitting that, um, you know what, there's an other side to this coin, where you guys are advocating the slow Mondays or don't pitch up Tuesdays and maybe work on Wednesdays is not the worst thing that we can do. There's been so many studies and some of them have been conducted here in South Africa about the four-day work week. Mm. Um, is, does that fall into place with your pendulum analogy that, you know, but work hard, yes, work hard for four days, but then absolutely you need to recover for a longer period of time. So the answer is yes and no. Um, it all depends on what you do on the other three days. Um, Drink, Jim. <laughs> well, if people, or tequila. If, if people would relax on those three days and, and, and make it an active recovery period where they are doing something that feeds them, um, when I say feeds them, the human needs that we have, which is to, to belong, to contribute, our spiritual needs, our family needs, our social needs, when those are met – it, it, it balances out the, the, the work stress and we've, we feel like we're contributing. And there's a nice way of thinking about it. Like if you're doing something that's really meaningful and purposeful to you, you don't experience it as stressful. Uh, no, I, I agree with you 100%. Like I look at you and I see someone who's always energized, even though you work long days and you put a lot in, but you, you, there's needs there that are being met that you feel like you're yeah. really contributing and making a difference. Yeah. Where burnout really happens is where people no longer feel feel that link between my sense of contribution and belonging to what I'm doing. So the analogy would be like a treadmill that I'm on. I'm running as fast as I can, but I look up and I haven't moved really. And all that happens is every year my boss comes and he takes that treadmill and he makes it 5% faster because he says I need 5% more from you next year with 5% less resources because we've got to generate more profit. And that sense of running faster and faster and faster. What's missing is the why, the bigger why of why I'm, of what I'm doing here. Yeah, I like that analogy because I feel like this in the gym, seeing these people on the treadmills not going anywhere, and I think to myself, you know what, that's a bit of a waste of yeah. energy. There's something like a combustion engine mm. that will take you from point A to point B or just go bloody walk outside yeah. instead of running on one spot. Um, I, I, I think one of the things that I would like to get to in our conversation mm. today is how do we manage stress in the workplace? There's, there must be a way. So you are a, a coach not only to individuals but also to companies. Mm. And in my opinion, and I don't know whether you will agree with me, companies are failing to create um, – 
sustainable environment for the employees to thrive. Never, I, I actually want to, to backtrack and say to survive, never mind to thrive. And you know what? If I work for a salary and I'm not one of the big shots in management or on the executive committees, you know what? I'm going to be very scared to speak up and say enough is enough or, you know, at some way when you have to draw the line because I'm replaceable. Um, for me, I think that adds more stress besides the, the, the stuff that happens outside of work. Like, for instance, this morning, Elise knows me well enough. Um, I stay in a small little house close to my office for one simple reason – I, I hate sitting in traffic because people are idiots. So this has immediately upset my day. And if it happens and I walk into the office trying to reset so that I can give my full attention and uh, portray my care and understanding for a person who has far bigger problems than having sat into traffic um, for an hour is is hard. Um, Elise, do you want to jump in here? Yeah, I want to um, – I've been in the corporate world for about 10 years before I joined Mark. And it's actually difficult to describe what I experienced because you go in and you put – Everything in, like in, it, I started a new division, you know, from scratch and made a huge, huge success of it. And through the years, I got more and more responsibility, more and more responsibility. And then you don't even realize that you are burned out. And I was burned out. Um, Elise, may I interject? What were your symptoms? Okay, these, I, I wanted to get into that. I was. Socially not available for anybody, not even my family. I traveled from Sunday night to Friday afternoon. Weekends I slept, didn't have a social life at all. I gained weight like you can't believe, which I luckily lost the last four years. And it's it's not because of not eating well. It's about because of – maybe it's because of not eating well. It's just there wasn't time. Your mind is – Day and night busy with work. Um, how? What did it do to your emotional state? Uh, I was, um, what do you call it? Disengaged. Yeah. Disengaged. Did Did you start feeling the anger, the resentment, I'm the still frustration? Angry. <laughs> I'm still angry. I don't think, I don't think there's a magic recipe to recover from burnout, and. Um, I'm still angry and I'm not angry at the company. I'm angry at everything around me because I let it happen to me. But without me knowing, yeah. it's happening. So I think with that last piece that you just said is really important is when we start taking ownership of it. Because we can sit back and we can we can blame corporates mm. um, and go, it's their fault. But I do think that they do contribute to I this. But there's also a reality in that um, – no corporate's going to come to you and say, you're doing too much. Please go home. We want you to do less. Um, you're a resource, and what they want is they want to optimize it. I think the mistake corporates make is they don't realize the, the link between um, stress and burnout and how it actually impacts long-term profitability in that. Mm -hmm. So losing someone like yourself, a resource, highly because valuable. Because it was a – snap decision. And it happens like that. Where yeah. people Within a day, I said, I've had enough. I've heard it's horror stories. After I made an offer, that's <laughs> <fine>. <laughs> But I've heard horror stories of, of of people's health just collapsing. More and more people feeling the need to take long term sabbaticals. But Michael, this is this is what we are seeing in yeah. the practice. Mm -hmm. um, I I think you know what when I reflected on last year, so one of my uh, good friends and one of the company representatives that I've known for many years. Uh, sat in my office on the 15th of December or something. And she asked me, so if if I ask you to tell me about the year, what would you say? And I said immediately, oh, my God, it was an awesome year. 
It was a difficult but an awesome year. But we didn't see that with our patients. Um, I make a point of not accepting new patients during the month of December because my, my, my diary is too full. In 15 days, we were inundated with so many requests from desperate people that we saw 48 new patients in 10 workdays. And that's unheard of. And all of them completely burned out. The problem that I have is three weeks later, when I started seeing them again in January, they were still burned out. And all of them reported that there was no slowdown. It's as if the year never ended. It just continued. So, Piwi, did you guys experience that as well in, in Cliff Central? No. So I, I think I'm fortunate enough to have a different work environment. But I want to ask as someone who I think experienced more of personal life stresses, right? So I, I stay with my grand and her health is like deteriorating and it's, it's more, that's the kind of stress I would be experiencing as opposed to work. So work is quite flexy, but like personal life gets really hectic. And then it's like, what do I do at the office? Because I don't want to be here. Like, you know, I'm focusing on yeah. everything else but well, work. Can you imagine being in a corporate environment as a woman or as a single parent and having to go home and care for your children and care for a loved one who is sick or has failing health and repeat that every single day because that doesn't stop. And Michael, it's, it's yes, we, we're talking about stress in the workplace, but I think the simple principles um, around stress and how we should manage it we can pull through to personal stress. So, 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 so Mark, like, it's interesting that you're talking about the December holidays because I think it's almost part of the mentality that's part of the problem. We find people have this mentality of go hard and then I'm going to take a long break in December and then I'll be fine again and I can Absolutely. ramp up in January and then go hard again. So your holidays become critical for recovery and, and I'm finding – that's imp- happening less and less. Um, people are still coming back really, really tired. And I, and, and I don't really ascribe to that. Another model that many people have is go hard during the week um, and then I'm just going to crash and spend the whole weekend on the couch. And you were describing your life of you spend the whole weekend sleeping, doing little, little yep. you've got no social life, no time for family. So it's that go hard and then just crash. Crash, yeah. I don't like that. Uh, the, mm. What I try and work with my clients is, You've got to build it into a daily practice, a daily practice of, of managing my stress and environment. And, and daily practice starts from little, little things that you can do on a daily basis that, that, that manage your stress. Um, and it's bringing what gives me energy in and what takes energy out and starting to understand those two things. Um, how do I work around like yourself? Like you've, you, you just described a strategy of yours is I really battle with traffic. What can I do to manage to manage that stress? So I avoid it so that when I come to the office, I'm not like that. Um, so those starting to understand that this is the thing that really doesn't work for me. How do I manage it? But now corporate flexibility becomes important. COVID was really interesting because before COVID in South Africa, people didn't want to work remotely. Like it was interesting because I, as a coach, I often used to have this conversation with people. What about remote work? It would be so healthy for people. Nobody wanted it. COVID came along. Within two, three months, people were forced to pivot. Everyone's working remotely. People got a taste for it. I really like being at home with my dog under the table. I, I, I can get up in my gardens right here. And what we found was people's productivity was actually really, really good. Um, for how long? Yeah. And, and, and for, but for a while because they, they missed other things. Yes. Now COVID comes to an end. And what we find is corporates are wanting to go back to pre-COVID, like we want you in the office, eight to five, and there's a laziness there. It's because they feel like I, I don't trust you. I can't manage your productivity. How do I know people are working? Um, but also, they realize that need for the social interaction that I, people I, isolated is not good for team morale. It's not yeah. good for company culture. Yeah. So we've got these two needs now that are not being met. So the one is the individual need for 
autonomy, choice, managing my own stress in ways that work for me. And on the other hand, with the organization's need for, we want team culture, we want organizational culture, we want to check productivity because there are unfortunately people who took advantage of it and didn't produce. Is it because of the different um, baby boomers, millennials, blah, 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 blah? I think it's part of it. I, I, I think also many people just couldn't cope. Um, mm. So some people loved working from home. Other people just crashed mm. um, because yes. there was no yes. stimulation or the environment was terrible. You know, it's nice if you've got a great office at home and a big garden and, and some people were stuck in terrible, terrible situations. sitting and working in their bedrooms. With four or five kids and like maybe there's two or three people sharing a small place and they're all trying to work remotely. So situation knee that could have created more stress. Mm. The point that I'm trying to get to is we've now come to the situation where it's like this or this, and I think that's the wrong conversation. A healthier conversation that we need to start having as corporates and people who work for corporates is like, how do we take the best of both? And instead of going, let's go back to like a 95, you're in the office, or I work purely remotely, how do we start having a conversation that works really, really well for people so we optimize performance and people's health and wellness um, and their productivity. Um, so, for example, if you, if you could, if you were working for a corporate, but you knew you, you could get up in the morning, start on your laptop, do two hours, and then I could come to the office at 10 o'clock and I've got some really useful productive meetings set up after that that are going to be great for me. Um, and then when I've finished it, I can go home. I don't have to be in the office till four to tick a box. So now what happens is I can start managing. I can avoid the, tra the peak traffic in Santon and the, the police on Santon Drive. Um, and, but I can come into office and what I do in the office is really useful. But people are frustrated at the moment because they're saying, I'm sitting in traffic for an hour. Then I get to the office and what's the first thing I do is I jump on Teams meetings with people who are sitting at home. So I could have just sat at home and done that. But, I, but what I'm doing in the office is not necessarily the right work at the right time that starts creating st stress and resentment. It's like mm. I'm sitting here because you've told me I have to be here. I know I could be just as productive at home. So there's this latent anger and frustration around being forced to do something that I know is not the most effective way for me. But there's a lack of emotional maturity sometimes where, Lisa, I think you mentioned of like that fear of losing one's job mm. um, and you want to perform. So we in a culture that we organizations use the current situation to create fear of it. if you don't perform, you're under pressure. But simultaneously, interesting, they don't manage performance. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I have to agree. I don't care. I, you know what, as an employee myself, I demand excellence from the people that work with me and they know that. Yeah. Um, there's nothing that gripes me as much as mediocrity. Yeah. Or not taking accountability. That, uh, you know what, um, as an employer, um, for me, that's a non-negotiable. Um, luckily, in my company, I have everyone with the same mindset. Everyone will work on their own, take accountability and take responsibility and go the extra mile. Not because of me, because of the environment that we work in. One of the things that <clears throat> I... I Always ask my patients who come in with metabolic disease, weight gain, uh, fatigue, stress, blah, 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 is, um, is your business successful? Most of them are either managers or directors or uh, self-employed and business owners. And they say, yes. And I look at them and I say, so, you know what, how did you get there? And there's a little bit of a confusion. I said, did you work hard? Did you put in the time, the effort? Um, did you work long hours? Yes. Yes, I did that. So why the hell are you not doing that with your health? Why don't you treat yourself like a business? Because we don't. Um, and I think for a lot of people that's scary because if I treat my life like a business, hmm, my employer might not be as happy. Um, but ultimately, you fail at both. You fail at life and you fail at your business. I want us to quickly talk about the stages of stress. 
and the types of stress? Or okay. do you want to add something? No, I want to, the point that you just made though, let's dig a bit deep into it. Like why? So why do we have the situation where people feel like I have to separate these two things out? So I've got to come to work and work. Um, so the bulk of my time every week. And then this thing that we call life on the side, which is my health, my wellness, my social interaction, my spiritual needs and all that, have to fit into the gaps in between. And, and, and so why is it that we don't prioritize those things? And a lot of it's got to do with a culture of over-identity with my work. So I am my work. And I think that's the one thing that perhaps we joke about the millennials is that they are better at, which is my work doesn't define me. I'm much more than my work. There's a much more holistic perspective perhaps of like life is life is not just my job, but it's who I am, where I'm with, the experiences that I have, the quality of life is as important. And I think the... the the older generation, there's a much more high identity in I am my job. And so you take away someone's job, the loss of identity is one of the scariest things that people have. So, And then if you add to that a lot of the patterns that we find like of perfectionists wanting to be high performance, that, um, like you say, particularly when you look at medium to top management, these are people who perform really, really well. So they, there's an identity of I am a performer, I get results. I'm really good at what I do. Now that is who I am. And am is different to what I do, who I am and what I do. So there's difference between being and doing. And so now what happens if I threaten your being, if I come at you and I actually threaten your existence, you're going you're to come back at me and you're going to fight me because your existence is a threat. Mm. But this is what's happening in the work situation. The threat of my job feels like an existential threat. Like you're actually attacking my life who I am, my survival. My security. My security. So it's a, you're not just making a, a, a substance threat of you're going to have a performance issue and, and that might impact how we see you as an organization. In, in, in our brains, we blow, it up, we blow it up to you're attacking who I am, um, my future, you're attacking my family. So you see how the stress gets elevated from you're not just talking about something that I have to do. I'm a little bit late on a one deadline. I'm going to get it spoken to a little bit about that. It doesn't feel like that kind of conversation. It feels like an existential conversation around you actually holding above me, but you could lose your job and then who am I going to be? So there's work to do inside to manage stress where we start separating and doing a little bit of work around I'm not my job. And so with executives, I do a lot of this very, very important work is, is, is the separation of who we are as people, which is much more holistic than this one aspect of our life, which is my job. And so when I can start seeing myself as a, as a person and what, is it, what do I do as a person? Well, I work. This is the job that I do. But I also, like to use as an example, I look after my grandmother and I've got family obligations and I've got social obligations and I have a spiritual um, need that I feed and I do some work in my community. And now all of a sudden I realize I'm much more than a job. A job. <clears throat> and people go, but, but surely when you put more pressure on a job, you get better performance. And it's counterintuitive, but it's not true. It would be like me saying to you, here, here's a golf ball. There's a hole, putt this putt and it's five feet. And then I say, but if you make it, I'm going to give you a million rand. Which one has more pressure? The, the million rand. way you're going to reimburse me. Yeah. So, because, so all of a sudden, pressure actually cr deteriorates performance. Hmm. And there's a huge amount of research that high amounts of pressure of the wrong kind um, deteriorates performance. So you're increasing stress and you're not getting necessarily the results out that you want, which you, which you think is increased performance. In fact, you're deteriorating performance. So, yeah, but can I quickly say something? I just want to say, and this is from personal experience, the person that I'm at work or was at work is different from who I am because of the company culture. And was that a choice? Um, to, it's to, to fit to in. The, to keep the two separate. And isn't that so sad? It's sad. So the very best of you... You left at home. Exactly. And do you know how often I have this conversation? that is where the stress actually started. And often, interestingly enough, it's with women and people of color um, that I find I have this conversation where it feels like I, I, 
I battle to fit into the culture of some of these big corporates. I have to leave the very best part of me. Exactly. So we talk about diversity, but culturally we actually force people to, to fit into a very narrow mm-hmm. spectrum of behavior. And that's stressful because the moment we start operating outside our authentic self, I've got to continually maintain this. Am I saying the right thing? Am I doing the right thing? Am I creating the right impression? Exactly. Um, I, I, I like up. what you say. I, I, I always say before you get married, you have to live together. Because if you don't, I can pretend to squeeze the toothpaste at the bottom for a week, but I can't do it for a month. Yeah. And if I don't spend enough time in a situation where I can no longer keep up the masquerade of pretense. Um, you know what? Eventually, my true colors are going to come out. And I think, Elise, that's what you are illustrating. If and I think how we are in the practice. We are where we are. Um, you know what? We swear, we laugh. Yeah. Um, we dirty. All of that. No. Even on the show. Even on the show. <laughs> <laughs> We're not dirty. We use microdicing. So, um, we have a bleep button. So, <laughs> so you know what? I, I get what you say. I want to quickly run through the different types of stress sure. and stages of stress. So the first one, which we quickly spoke about, was eustress or good stress. Yeah. It's short-lived. Um, it creates... Um, a strengthening of our fight-flight reaction, um, and then it dissipates, and I return to normal. That's good for us. Everyone should have. So, a perfect example: traffic this morning. No, oh. for me, that's 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 not a perfect example of something like that. Is doing something that creates a little bit of fear, but um, has a reward of exhilaration behind it. It's like doing a bungee jump or going down a big slide. It's like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. And when you get to the bottom, it's, oh, my God, I want to do it again. That's good stress. Okay. Okay. So there's a reward at the end of this. Now, daily stress is traffic Mm -hmm. because I deal with it every single day. And then, you know, but when daily stress becomes cumulative, which all stress is. So I sit in traffic. Mm -hmm. I come home. There's load shedding. I have to feed the kids, get them bathed, get them to do their bloody homework. And after that, I have to go spend time with my ailing parent who's living in the granny cottage, make sure that they're okay. And then I have to come and I have to listen to my husband rant and rave about the traffic. Stefan is used to that. So, And then? That becomes chronic stress. Okay. And with chronic stress, now we start developing, Michael, resentment, disillusionment, anger, and when chronic stress continues, it progresses to I'm starting to become anxious. I don't want to do this. I'm starting to disengage, not only from the situation to try and help myself. It's you know what, that simple thing, if I know something is going to be unpleasant, I'm going to start trying anything to avoid it. It's public speaking. Get someone to go and stand on a stage if they don't like it, they will do everything possible to avoid it. And you're going to start doing that um, to avoid the stress and the unpleasant feeling that you have in whatever situation, either going home or going to work. And eventually it leads to complete... Anxiety leads to depression, which leads to shutdown. Uh, you know, but this is where your fight, flee, turns into complete freeze. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, is I that agree. a good summation of, yeah. of stress? Very much. Okay. So where do we start? I think, you know what, the, the most important thing is, is for us is to identify 
the stressor and take ownership of it. Do you agree? Agree. So if you're looking for very specific, for my mind works like this, like give me something practical that I can actually tangibly do. First thing, take your cell phone and switch off notifications. No. I promise you it is, <laughs> it is life-changing. Okay, so this is what you do, is you, you, take, you, you switch off WhatsApp, you switch off Teams, you switch off Facebook, so you get no notifications. If somebody is, wants to get hold of you in an emergency, you allow the phone to ring. But everything else you switch off. Let me tell you why hmm. it's important. Is this then becomes an extension of, of work. So what happens is now I'm, I'm at dinner. I'm with my family. This should be a time of relaxation, so socialization. And what happens is even if I don't pick up my phone, it goes off and I see there's a message from my boss. I'm distracted my, immediately. I'm distracted immediately. And if you, if you look at the way the neurology works, the resources in the prefrontal cortex for current engagement, current working space are limited. So now my phone is really consuming those. Now I have less energy and time for chatting to you we're just enjoying this really nice glass of wine that I bought, this, this, this dinner that I'm eating. So these things that give me pleasure of the, the tangible things, you know, time with loved ones, food, being in the garden, going for a walk, those things that provide me energy are now blocked because what's happened, my phone's constantly on. I'm seeing, even if I'm not doing the work, I'm seeing this conversation between two members around a client and what's happening is my, my brain is, is engaged here. Switch the notifications off. Because yeah. what do we do when our, when our notifications are off? Like 20 minutes into the conversation, now dinner's winding down a little bit. Um, I quickly have a quick look. Ah, okay. And I, I choose when and how to engage hmm. with my notifications. So, so now all of a sudden I'm starting to put a little bit of a boundary between work and, and the other space that's important for me, be it at the gym, socializing, anything like this. Now, most people have exactly your reaction when I say to them, switch off notifications. They go, impossible, can't do it. Like, I have to be immediately available to everybody. Oh, crap. I hate that. There's nothing worse than sitting in a conversation with someone and constantly they're checking their bloody smartwatch. <laughs> I, I, you know what? I, I, I lose it. I tell them, um, you know what? Please, if you want us to um, have lunch or something, don't bring your watch or your phone because I'm not competing with your other friends Amen. or with work. Uh, and there, uh, you know what, Elise, you know, my phone is never close to me in my no, office. No, this is the same. I, I like what you said. I even put off the sound on my phone yeah. and that's it. Yeah. I don't want to engage with it. Nothing is as important. Like everyone so in important. my environment, whether it's personal or business, yeah. know that – if they need to contact me, call my office. Yeah. Because even though I'm in my office, I'm not going to pick up my phone because I'm giving time to someone else who's paying me for my time. Yeah. So don't interrupt me. So, so, so like, we try it for one day. Let's see if I you survive. You, it's really it's liberating. It's, uh, that's the word, liberating. So, 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 what you, so now you're starting to put up a little boundary, like one break at a time. Next, <laughs> next thing you do is on your, on your laptop that you work on all day. Okay. Switch off notifications again. No notifications. Because, because once again, like... Look this at the, is hard. <laughs> you're look, just hearing it. I'm like, you're... Exactly. You're look, to, look, look at the emotional reaction you're doing today. Like, no. <laughs> what do but you think, mean? So think what happens though. I'm busy doing some really important work. I'm writing something. I'm concentrating. I'm doing some deep work. There's a certain part of my brain that's engaged and I'm, I'm in deep thought. Now a notification pops up, corner of my screen. And even if I... Don't read that email immediately. What happens is it pulls me mentally because a different part of my brain has to engage with this now. I lose thought for a second. I, okay, I don't need to worry about that email. But I've lost where I am. I have to read. Yeah, I get that. I hate that when I do that to myself so because Go I'm distracted in any case. So Google proved that with their developers, it can take up to 10 minutes sometimes from deep thought to being distracted to back to the same point of thought. Sure. Now, if, you, if that happens four or five times an hour, we are, we are in this constantly That's the time distracted wasted, state right? and we're exhausted. Mm. And, so, and so people think, well, this ability to multitask is so important, but it's a stressor because instead of being able to concentrate, so like if you want to manage stress, get home, 
put your phone down somewhere. Don't carry it around the house mm-hmm. with you. Okay, new, next rule. Your phone is put down and left somewhere. So when I come back to the room. Not I'll, on the couch next to you. No, no, no. Please. Somewhere where, like later on I walk past it, I'll check. Is there anything like really that is urgent that I need to? So it's not total cut because in the modern world, I think that would create more stress. And, and sometimes people do need to phone us and there's an emergency or something like that. But every 10, 15 minutes, I'll walk past it. I'll have a quick look. No, nothing. But it's, I feel like I'm in control. I feel like I have choice. So now already I'm another boundary set. My, a small little boundary, but minor boundary. Okay. You know what? I miss the days where we had landlines. Yes. And telephone orkies. Landlines <laughs> because you only... <clears throat> received a phone call when someone had something that they needed to share with you. Once a week, you would have a phone call with a a family member. Um, It wasn't once a week for you, Dr. Mack. Once a week. (laughs) Once a week. You had to phone your mother on a Sunday evening once a week. (laughs) My mother phoned me on a Sunday evening because I usually avoided the conversation. But... We also knew that if you received a phone call before 8 o'clock in the morning or after 9 o'clock at night time, something was wrong. It was an emergency. Do you remember those days? If anyone called after 9, who's dead? That was the first thing that went through your mind. Not a constant jibber-jabber about... Uh, what are you doing or an emoji or, you know, fuck, how bored are you? Um, I'm busy. When I come home in the afternoon and the evening, my phone stays in my bag. And for at least two hours, I don't check it. I will check it before I go to bed. Why? Because I read the news. I love it. And then it goes into the drawer Good. Um, because I set my alarm loud enough to wake me up with it lying in my drawer. And then the first thing that I do is not check my messages. I read the news. That was going to be my next At step. half past five in the morning, I read the news. I feel like this is a personal attack on me. <laughs> <Right now. laughs> no. But Mark, can I, even cha- can I challenge you for a second? Can, let's improve your life a little bit. Don't read the news. How does engaging <laughs> with the news at like five o'clock in the morning or five thirty in the morning work for you it gives me something to talk to my patients about when i have nothing to say you know how many of my clients wake up and the first thing that they're doing on their phone is they they're looking at what what's the emails that have come in overnight i don't know what are the messages that have come through if you want a great stress avoid is try and avoid all electronics for the first hour in the morning like do yourself a favor like don't look don't look at the news don't don't look at your phone Get up and find some quiet space. That, that quiet space okay, in the morning. Okay, so go to gym first. Go to gym and first. And then come and look then at ca- the Then news. come and look at the news. Um, get up and have a cup of coffee and go just sit outside. Um, do some breathing exercises. Do a, If you've got a spiritual practice or a meditative practice, that hour in the morning is probably one of the best ways to set yourself up for a stress-free day. Um, I, I just see so many of my clients who are really stressed they, they, they finally are not getting enough done in the workday, all right? Mm. Uh, and, and what happens is I look at my – I mean, I spoke to a guy the other day and he said, I've got 15,000 unread emails in my inbox, 15,000, all right? Yeah, but how many of those 15,000 are actually it's irrelevant? But he's got to sort through those and, 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 and the stress of like that's there unprocessed. Okay, you're cringing again. Yes. Okay, can you imagine having 15,000? Sure. And so they go – I've got to find time. So what do they do is they start consuming other space. So some people go early in the morning. They wake up now at 4 o'clock in the morning to try and get an extra two hours of quiet time during the day because they get to the office and the office time is not productive because they're interrupted. There's meetings. There's all sorts of other things happening. And I actually don't have time to like get a lot of personal work done, email work and that type of thing. So I, now I start consuming 4 to 6 in the morning. I've got to wake up before the kids get up so I can quickly do two hours of emailing. Do you see how now you're starting to consume? Yeah, and you're taking away one of the best stress coping mechanisms, sleep. So sleep is, if you said to me, like, what, choose one thing to minimize stress. 
I'd say sleep. get eight hours of sleep a night, seven to eight hours. Because, because, but people feel the stress. So what they do now is they go, okay, so then I've got to minimize my stress by doing more. So they, they consume morning, but a lot of people will consume then evening time. So they come home, they grab a quick uh, bit to eat or something like that, and then they, they're back on the laptop. And then they do two, three hours on the laptop. But what happens then? Eventually, like, you're just mentally and physically exhausted. So now what happens is you pick up your phone and you start flicking scrolling. through, scrolling. And it feels great. Because you know what? Finally, here at 11 o'clock at night, I have five minutes for me. And it feels very, it feels good. This, five, this doom scrolling at 11 o'clock at night. And the next thing I look, and Jesus, it's one o'clock in the morning. And, but, but, but what happens is I've, that need for my alone time that I've had nothing the whole day, I've, I've, I've fed that need in a very unhealthy way by watching soccer at 11 o'clock at night or Social media, which is something that excites you instead of something that relaxes you. Watching sport and getting engrossed in the action yeah. is not relaxing. Yeah. So for me, um, you know, I'm a chronic insomniac. I have now taken to watching cooking shows, specifically. Night- no, oh. it's exciting. So I, think I it's watch the- Nigella. Oh, okay. Why? Because I have all her books. Okay. I've seen every single program more than once. So there's nothing new and yet it relaxes me. So it's not so, mentally stimulating. No. It's just it's just easy. Yeah. No. It's and and that allows me to fall asleep in my bed with my sleep timer on ten minutes. Okay. Which usually was two hours. Okay. Um now it's a short period of time. Michael, we're running out of time. So I think... Mark, can I say one... There's something I really would like to say. is like a, a lot of organizations have wellness programs. And this is a personal bugbear of mine, all right? Where the executive wellness program is once a year, we send all our top executives and they go to the doctor and they do some blood tests and everything like that. And the doctor comes back and they get these beautiful reports and, they, and they're very proud of the fact that they've got a wellness program. Where I'm challenged is like I'm an executive coach on the other side, so I'm often on the more performance side, helping these people to perform better and do better and, and get better results and work with these teams better. And and I'm just noticing the massive gap between these two because these two are unrelated. Because let's say you work for a large bank up the road, you go get your executive report and it says you've got high blood pressure, your cortisol levels are high, Um it doesn't address it. They address it with medication instead of addressing the… Go see a doctor. And by the way, we'll make you an appointment with the nutritionist as well, like if you want one, but it's on you. So that, that's the result of the executive medical. It's like red flag and here's some people you can go talk to. Then that person walks out of there and they go have a performance review with one of the leaders and they say, Mark, you did very well next year, but we want you to do 10% more this year. Um, you've got some… People missing out of your team, we know. We're not going to replace them, but so can you guys just absorb the load? So now look at these two mixed messages you're getting. And this is, the, this is where I, my challenge to corporates is, is we're not addressing it in a holistic way. At one level, we're realizing people are sick and people wellness, we need these wellness programs and people need help. But we're having a performance conversation on the other side that just says do more with less, um, where we're trying to have conversations in some of the co- corporates I'm working with, let, let's actually put the two together. And the executive coach actually is quite a useful person to sit in the middle because I've got the relationship with the individual. Bring your medicals. Let's have a look at your performance. And then we go, how do we make this work in a way that is really healthy and holistic? Corporates aren't doing this. They, they're seeing them as two separate individualistic things and they're not taking responsibility for actually what's appearing in a lot of the wellness prop reports they contributing to it. Well, you know what, this brings me into my question. I'm not executives. I don't have a lot of um, clout mm. when it comes to, uh, you know what, this and this and this is what's going to happen from now on. Number one, I think um, the, the message going out is identify your stressor. And you know what, if you know what it is that's causing the stress, now you can find a way of either avoiding it, minimizing it, 
or managing it. And I always tell my patients, if I cannot avoid my stress, you have one option. You have to accept it. But you have to accept that stress and change the terms of engagement. I know that this is what's stressing me. How am I going to mitigate it so that it suits me? I can't avoid it. I have to accept it. So what can I do about changing that? And I think that's difficult. Now, let's say, like Elise, you work in an environment where suddenly you're put into a position which, number one, does not agree and correlate with your own personal values. Now we start having a bit of a problem. I do not agree with what I have to do. Where I have either colleagues or seniors who are, I don't want to call it bullying. It's, uh, you know what, <clears throat> who are breaking me down, who's um, also stressed because of the buzz above them and he's shitting on their heads and suddenly, you know what, their only outlet is to the people below them. We spoke about setting boundaries. At some point, it really gets to that point where I know what the stresses are. I cannot avoid them, but I cannot change them. It doesn't align with my value system. The only thing that's left is to leave. How do I navigate that in the workplace? We have three minutes for you to answer <laughs> a question I think that you can speak hours on. Absolutely. Yeah, a good thousand. When you make the move and it's time to make the move, the mistake that I see a lot of people make is they, they, they jump because I'm desperate, I can't handle this anymore, so I make a jump. But because they don't take the time to step back, first of all, and actually analyze what's going on, they find that they make a jump and, and for a while it feels very good because a lot of our needs are met now. Those, some of those stresses are changed. They look different. I, I, I suddenly feel like I'm in a new job, so I'm enthusiastic. There's new people, so I get a lot of positive back. Six months down the line, though, I actually find things haven't really changed. Um, I've made a jump. but And so one of the things that – uh, as a coach, like having that conversation around really understanding how do I contribute to it? How much, how much of my own thinking and, uh, is, is part of this process? Um, do I really set good boundaries? Um, because people think that there's nothing they can do, but your ability to say no to stuff, your ability to um, manage your performance instead of being a perfectionist where you're taking – so long to do things, pulling that back slightly and going like, is, is that really most effective? So, so doing the internal work and then going, and what do I really want? So I jump because it's available. There's another job at, at the next investment bank right next door. So I jump and I think, guess what? It's the same. It's the same. So what you're basically saying is start with a common denominator. Do the work. Yourself. Do the work inside first. When you, when you know yourself, that self-awareness of this is – how I manage stress, and this is what creates stress for me. Secondly, what do I really want? Because when I start finding work, and if I can point to you again, Elise, it sounds like you found something where you feel like my needs are met in a contribution sense. Absolutely. But I want to add something. I did that work long before Mark and I decided to do this thing. Wow. In my head. Yes. I knew for maybe three, four years, yeah. this is not me and this is not for me. I was the same when I left corporate. It was the same thing. At a certain point in time, I'd done the work. So when when the opportunity now presented, I knew mm. this was it. So it's that, and and it's very unfortunate that many people feel like they have to leave corporate to be, to to contribute, to grow others, to to feed my other needs of social, spiritual, community needs, and everything. And I challenge you: it's not an all or nothing. There's an all or nothing mindset that exists that feels, you know, one day when I retire, I'll do that stuff that I enjoy. Or one day when, when I'm old and I've got the money, I'll have the farm and then I can relax. Try and avoid that mentality. Mm. Um, look for 
what can I do today that is not, it's not the whole farm, but it's this little thing that I do every day that I feel like I'm growing, I'm contributing, I'm a better person, I'm interacting with people that are really meaningful for me. Um, and that gives me so much energy, it, it helps everything around me. So, so if you want one tip, like avoid this all or nothing, I'm going to burn myself out for 40 years, then I'm going to resign, and then I'm going to have lots of fun. You're probably not even going to make it to retirement. My suggestion is like learn to find the little pieces of joy and, and wow. Um, we call it self-actualization, like finding the little wows every day. And it can be finding a great cup of coffee. It can be meeting somebody new and interesting. It can be spending 20 minutes mentoring some young person in the organization. It can be – but seeing it for what it is, having that like wow – and I feel like I've contributed, I've improved things, I've made things better. It's amazing how that need for meaning, that need of humans that we have for meaning and contribution is a, such a cool antidote for stress because we can handle stress when we have purpose and meaning. Yeah. But don't think that meaning comes one day when I retire or once a year when I have three weeks on holiday. Learn to find meaning every day in little, little things. Ah, and that makes such a difference. Michael, I, I, I thank you. For me, what I've taken away from this conversation is, number one, find purpose. Have boundaries. Think of a pendulum. If I work hard, I have to do exactly the opposite and play hard. Um, you know what we always said, work hard, play hard. And you know what, from Friday night until Monday morning, we were in the clubs and we played hard. But, you know, but Monday morning you walked in and you were tired, but you know what, you had no stress. Um, I wouldn't advise that simply where you guys don't have a constitution to do that. So number two or, or number three for me is find what makes you happy. Follow your bliss. Um, when I started doing that, I've been in medicine for over 25 years now. And even at med school, I, I didn't find, except for obstetrics and gynecology, which I eventually went and specialized in, that was my bliss. That's what made me happy. It was the hardest work in, in hospitals was um, labor. Labor wards and gynecology. Mm -hmm. At least do you agree? agree? Other than ER. Um, <clears throat> but it made me happy. And uh, you know what? After med school and when I was in private practice, it was like, I don't like seeing coughs and colds and little children that can't tell you what the hell is wrong. You have to guess. Um, it, it didn't make me happy. And then I went into aesthetics and finally you know, what we did, um, we went, or I went into hormone optimization, where I actually make a, a difference to people's quality of life, not how they perceive themselves, whether how they actually feel. And that makes me happy. And therefore, nothing that I do is ever hard when it comes to my work. I don't think all of us have that opportunity because I have to take the job that's available. But in that job, find something that you feel that you are good at and want to develop. Um, again, identify your stresses and manage them accordingly. Michael, if um, any of our listeners want to talk more about this managing stress, business coaching, et cetera, et cetera, how do they get hold of you? So our website is coachingunity.co.za. It's one word. Um, they can do that uh, or they can contact T-Clinic. And, 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 and we'll put them in put, contact. Give my you. number. But through the website. Uh, coachingunity.co.za. Yeah. Okay. Michael, thank you for taking the time, oh, driving all the way through from Pretoria. I don't know how you guys do it. Um, and um, 
We will have you back on the show. I, I have uh, a company that wants to speak to you, by the way. Don't uh, let me forget. Next week, we will be back. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about aesthetics and, you know, what my favorite product on the market currently, and that's the biostimulators. I'll be joined by Lauren Kate Fletcher. And we'll be delving into the benefits of biostimulators and in my specific um, use of Sculptra. Until then, we wish you all the best in health. That was the Tea Health Show, empowering you with knowledge. Download all previous episodes on your favorite podcast platform. The Tea Health Show is brought to you by Tea Clinic.